The story of Joseph in the Old Testament is a, one of the more dramatic stories of misfortune, mishaps, pain. Um, the things that his brothers did to him is just absolutely unthinkable. But Joseph is also one of the more dramatic stories of forgiveness in the Bible as well. If you're a guest with us today, uh, this is a powerful day for you to be here with us. Uh, number one, we're wrapping up a summer series that we've been in. We've been in the book of Genesis all summer, and today's the last sermon in that series before we begin talking about hope. But we've been looking through the book of Genesis, and most people, when they read the book of Genesis, they get so caught up in the study of the characters, they miss the point of Genesis. Genesis is about God. The, the reason Genesis is the first book in the Bible is for a very important reason. It's introducing us to God and what God is like. And God is a lot like, uh, especially the, the positive attributes of some of the things we hear about inside these character studies. We've been through all of them, and now we're talking and wrapping up today the story of Joseph. Joseph, who was grabbed by his brothers and thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery. And while he's in slavery, he gets, in, he, he gets accused uh, of something he didn't do, and he gets thrown into prison. And it's not until he's been in prison for several years that suddenly Pharaoh takes notice of him, and he interprets a dream. He ends up saving the whole nation of Egypt. And by saving the nation of Egypt, he saves the entire region. And now he's second in command. He is the second most powerful man in all of the world, just second to Pharaoh himself. But I think maybe the pinnacle of Joseph's story is a story of forgiveness. It's a story about a young man who finds a way to forgive his brothers. And I wonder how many of us in here today are carrying some kind of pain that we just have not forgiven just yet. I prayed all week long. This is not the normal Labor Day sermon I'd like to give. I want it to be funny and tell a bunch of charming stories and try to wow you with laughter. And yet this is right where God has us wrapping up this series. And if you're a guest with us today, you may even be asking, God, why this message? Why do I need to hear this? Oh, this is a struggle. Forgiveness is not easy. It's Gandhi who said that forgiveness is that of the strong. The weak can never forgive, he writes. Forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. And when I first saw that, I liked that a lot. But then the more I read it this week, the more I disagreed with that statement. And here's why I disagree with it. I disagree with it because I, I don't think it's by my strength I'm able to forgive. I think it's something real true forgiveness. I think it's something that only God's Spirit can help you get to. I think it's something that unless you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're never going to get to where you need to be. And it's something about God saying, I'm going to give you my spirit and I'm going to give you my strength. And in that moment, you're going to find this ability to forgive. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, Paul says the Lord, that the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then later on, Paul sums that up by saying, When I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Now, what does he mean by that? When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. When you and I go before God and we tell him we can't do this, we're too weak to pull this off. 
In that moment of confessing our weaknesses, God gives you his strength and his power, and suddenly you have supernatural ability to forgive someone. But the average person just can't pull that off. Oh my goodness, these brothers who did these horrible things to Joseph, just to recap quickly, they, there's a great famine all over the world. Joseph has done an amazing job of getting Egypt ready for a famine. For seven years of plenty, he collected and collected. He taxed the people about 20% of all their grain. And he put it in these huge storage bins, which to this day, archaeologists have uncovered huge storage bins all over Egypt. And we believe that they're connected to this story. And then when the seven years of famine hit, Joseph had the ability to give out grain and to keep everybody alive, not only in Egypt itself, but in the entire region. Jacob and his family are starving at this point. Jacob sends his sons, ten of them, not Benjamin. <laughs> Benjamin and Joseph are the two sons from his favorite wife. He's already lost Joseph. He's convinced Joseph is dead. But he sends the other ten sons. You go to Egypt and buy grain. And while they're there, they find themselves in the presence of Joseph. They do not recognize Joseph. But Joseph recognizes them. Joseph gives them the grain, but he tells them, he tells them, uh, at this point, he goes, you, you're telling me I think you might be spies. And they're like, we're not spies. Our father, our whole family is back home. And Joseph says, is there another brother? You know, he's fishing a little bit. I wonder if they did to my little brother what they did to me. And they said, no, there's another brother at home, Benjamin. And Joseph says, until you prove to me that there, Benjamin is a real boy, I'm going to believe you're spies. And I'm taking one of your brothers. He takes Simeon and he puts him in jail. Now, a lot of people look at this and they say, Joseph's testing his brothers to see if there's been an, a change in them. That might be what's going on. So these brothers go back to their father. Simeon's in jail, the, the, the second highest uh, man in control in Egypt. Very powerful man. He's asking to see Benjamin. And Jacob says, there's no way I'm letting you take Benjamin to Egypt. They eat up all the grain, and now it's time to go back to Egypt again. And they tell Jacob, there's no way this man is going to give us any food if we don't prove to him we're not spies, if we don't take Benjamin back. And, and which, by the way, Jacob just allowed his son Simeon to sit in jail this whole time. I told you this was a dysfunctional family. And so finally Jacob says, all right, before we starve to death, take Benjamin. They go back, and when, when Joseph sees Benjamin, man, his heart is just torn. He's, he's fighting tears the entire time. He, he gives them the grain, and then to test his brothers again, he slips a golden... Uh, cup, one of his golden cups, into Benjamin's bag. And as they're leaving town, they're all arrested, and when they open up Benjamin's bag, they find that gold cup. And Joseph is waiting to see, what will the brothers do? Will they just leave Benjamin behind uh, to die? Will they just go off? And these brothers just beg and beg, and they plead with Joseph, please don't harm him. Take one of us, kill one of us, but don't kill Benjamin. And again, Joseph sees that there's a change, and so he invites all these brothers to his own home, to his own residence. And when they come into his table, Joseph, again, they don't know it's a, their brother, Joseph sits them at the table in the exact order of their birth, and they're shocked. And then in Hebrew, he speaks to them. Uh, all this time it's been Egyptian, he speaks to them in Hebrew, and he says, I am your brother Joseph. And they start crying, and he starts crying. And there's this amazing story and moment of 
tenderness and forgiveness. When Pharaoh hears that Joseph's brothers are all there, he comes and he welcomes them. He says, go get your whole family. Move closer to Egypt. We'll give you your own land. We'll give you houses. Come closer so you don't have to worry about starving because Pharaoh is that impressed with Joseph still at this time. If we didn't have the book of Genesis and the story of Joseph, you would not understand how Israel, how the Israelites ended up in Egypt and ended up as slaves. When you opened up the book of Exodus, you'd be a little bit lost. That's why we needed this story in Genesis. But why does God want this story in Genesis? Why does God want you to know the story of Joseph? Why does God point out this forgiveness of this young man? Because that's what his character is most like. We've been looking at, at God through the book of Genesis. We've seen him as creator. We know him as ruler. But when he turns to redeemer, there's this amazing grace and forgiveness on God's part. And you and I, even in our hardest moments of forgiveness, when we're wagging our heads saying, there's no way we could ever do that. Well, God seems to think we can get there, not by our strength, but by his. In Pennsylvania, there's a group of devout Christians called the Amish. They live simple lives without many of the modern conveniences they work hard, they live quiet, peaceful, separated from the world. Most of their food they raise themselves. Most of their clothing they sew and make themselves. This is the Amish, and you know the Amish probably very well. In October of 2006, a 32-year-old truck, a milk truck driver, did the unthinkable. In 2006, this man was driving a milk truck through many of the farms of, uh, of the Amish territory. He's not Amish himself, but he was collecting their milk and taking it to a, a processor. And this was a man who, in a twisted moment, just lost all reason and control. He was tormented in his own mind. He blamed God for the death of his first child, a daughter. So in 2006... He went into an Amish school without any provocation. He ordered all the boys to leave. He tied up 10 Amish girls and he shot every one of them. Five of them died. And then he shot himself. The Amish community was in shock and tears. There was sorrow. There was anguish. But there was no anger. There was hurt. But there was no hate. All the cameras were there, and the Amish try hard to avoid getting on camera. But there came that time when a spokesman for the community needed to be heard. And it was one of the elders of the Amish and one of the fathers of one of the dead girls. And in front of the world and in front of a camera and with a microphone in his face, he said, we're hurting. He said, we are really hurt. But he said, today we're going to find a way to forgive. And he spoke words of forgiveness. If you were watching it, you were shocked. You were like, how can he get there so quick? How can he even talk about forgiveness at this time? And then the Amish did the remarkable. They, they went over, uh, a group of Amish men went over to the... Uh, to the killer's father's house and embraced him and told him that they forgave his son and, and they ministered to that father and then they 
a group of Amish went to the shooter's wife and to his children and brought gifts and food and, and provisions and showed love and mercy and tenderness. In fact, at the uh, milkman's funeral, there was just as many Amish there as there was people from his relations and community. Jesus talked about this. Jesus said, do good to them that hate you and pray for those who persecute you. And the Amish did. Jesus said, forgive as you've been forgiven. And the Amish did. While the blood of their daughters was still wet on that schoolhouse floor, they were talking about forgiveness. What hurt has been handed to you that you're having a hard time getting over? What pain, what setback has come your way that you're like, I, I just cannot bring myself to forgive this person and it's eating you up. Like Mary said in the video before, uh, unforgiveness is like a cancer that will destroy you, not the person who hurt you. We've all been hurt and we've all been injured. And here's God saying, I want you to be a lot like me, and I want you to be a lot like my son Jesus. I want you to forgive. Now you know why I consider Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers probably the, the highest point of his whole story. Oh, making it to Egypt, that's, that's pretty impressive. Joseph was a great leader. He was a smart kid. He stayed faithful to God all the way through all these heartaches. But I personally believe that this moment of forgiving his brothers and welcoming, welcoming them back into his life and back into his home and back into his community probably is the greatest moment in Joseph's story. And God wanted us to have that story so he could point to that story and say, do you see what Joseph just did? He allowed me to have all that pain in his life for my glory. He allowed me to have all that heartache in his life for what I wanted to accomplish. Ten brothers. Yeah, they did the unthinkable. They sold their young brother into slavery and told their father that he was dead. Ten brothers found themselves in Egypt, starving to death. Ten brothers bowed before, G before Joseph. Unbelievable. Bowed before Joseph. Joseph told these brothers, you'll bow to me one day, and they rejected that. And then it's recorded that they bowed to Joseph five different times. Instead of retaliation, they received mercy. Instead of retribution, they received kindness. No hatred. No vengeance, no animosity, just forgiveness. Do you know how Joseph got there? Part of it's in his theology, and at the end of the book of Genesis, we see what his theology was. In Genesis 45, verse 5, he says to his brothers, And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Can you imagine going to your tormentor, to the one who's caused you pain, and say, don't, don't blame yourself for this. God had something else in mind. Stop worrying about this. Can you imagine that? Or to get to where he got to in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, 
Joseph says, you may have meant it for evil, but God, but God intended it for good. You may have meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Boy, what would it take for us to get there? Do you know who called on the story of Joseph just before he was stoned? We're in the New Testament now, and the very, very first Christian martyr, the one who will die because he's a follower of Christ, the first one is a young man by the name of Stephen. And you can read his story in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, just before he's stoned, he gets a chance to speak a little bit. And in his little sermon that he gives about Jesus, he remembers Joseph. Isn't that fascinating? That at a moment just before the stones start to throw, he takes time to recall the story of Joseph and how all these things happened to him, but that God was going to do something greater. Do you know what Stephen also will do? This is pretty surprising. There are two men in, in all of Scripture that just as they are dying, I mean as they are dying, they pray forgiving those who are causing their death. One is Jesus, and one is Stephen. As the nails are going through Jesus' wrist and his feet, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. As the stones start hitting Stephen, Stephen prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How do I get eyes like that? I want eyes like Joseph. I want eyes like Stephen. I want eyes like Jesus. Who doesn't focus so much on the pain and the hurt, but focuses on what God might be willing to do or able to do for his glory through that hurt. How do I see this world differently than the world likes to look? How can you see this thing differently? Oh my goodness, they all had the ability the mob in Stephen's story, all they could see was a young man that they hated. They hated the Christianity, and they wanted to kill him. That's all they could see was their hatred. Stephen in that moment says, all I can see is Jesus. <laughs> Stephen says, throw all the stones you want to throw. I see Jesus. And then he dies. A funeral was coming by Jesus and his disciples, a uh, young man who died and his, his mother, a widow. She's, she's lost a lot, hasn't she? And as the funeral was coming by, all the disciples could see in that moment was death and a funeral. But all Jesus could see was resurrection, life, and a party. And so Jesus resurrects the young man. Oh, all Joseph's brothers could see was all the pain they caused their younger brother. But all Joseph could see was that God used it for something amazing to save many lives. What do you see today when you look at your hurt and pain? Do you see what, do you see what the world sees? Oh, my goodness. Can't believe you're going through all that. That's horrible. Can't believe that person did that to you. That's sad. It's shocking. Or do you see the, what God sees through the eyes of what God can do? I have the strongest prescription now of uh, bifocals I've ha ever had to have. <laughs> oh, 
What is going on with me? My eyes are fading. Uh, the bottom half of, of these bifocals, I don't need them for long distance, but the bottom half of these bifocals are so strong, it makes everything so close that I've reached out for door handles on cars and have missed. Just whew. That's a little embarrassing when people are looking at you going, what's wrong? Is he drunk? <laughs> Not today. Right now, Lauren's thinking Ron missed so many great chances to just get off the stage before that. <laughs> the doctor, the optometrist, looked at me and he said, uh, you're, you're not seeing everything as clearly as you could. So he wrote a more powerful prescription. Some of us are not seeing everything the way we could. You could forgive that person. And right now, as I brought up forgiveness, most of us in this room, we thought of somebody that we're still a little angry with, a little bitter. You could forgive them. If you have Jesus in your life, you have the Holy Spirit, and what you're too weak to pull off, the Holy Spirit could give you the strength to do today. Huh. And you and I never look more like Jesus than when we're forgiving someone. 